We're going to be turning to Luke chapter 14 right now. So you can open up your Bibles or tap your apps to Luke 14. We have some Bibles sitting on these tables back at that connect table there. So we've been going through the book of Luke and we've been seeing Luke's account, his, his written account of Jesus' birth and his life so far. During Good Friday and Easter, we also examined through Luke's account Jesus' death and resurrection. And so right now we're, we're kind of jumping back to the middle of the story where we had left off before Good Friday and Easter. Continuing where, where we took off last week from Luke 13, moving to Luke 14. And we're seeing how Jesus continues to push people's buttons. And I'm going to be reading in Luke 14, starting in verse 12. If you're able to, please stand with me as you hear God's word. Luke writes in chapter 14, verse 12. He, being Jesus, he also said to the one who had invited him, and we'll talk about what he's invited to and who he's invited by in a moment. When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. This is God's word. Father, we pray that by your spirit, our ears, our minds, and our hearts would be open to your word. We would be illuminated by it, transformed by it, that we would become more and more like your children that you have made us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So as we're talking about eating around the table... And that this is the context that Jesus is saying these words that Luke is writing down. He's at a, a dinner party. I have a question for you. Do you remember when you were a kid and one of the like rewards you could get as a student in school was having lunch with the teacher? Did that anyone else experience that? No? 
Do, do any teachers in here know what I'm talking about? Does that happen? Yes. Who's it a reward for, Jessica? Yeah. Who's it really a reward for? So here's the thing. You can only do that at certain grade levels, right? Because at some point, like, the students are starting to go, like, I'd really rather have lunch with my friends. It's not really a reward. Um, but okay. And then you get into junior high, high school, and really it becomes more about who you're eating lunch with, right? Like, what other students you're sitting with. Like, who you're sitting with at lunchtime really says a lot about your social status and the pecking order of that campus. But at a, at a young age, I do remember there was a time where, like, I got this kind of recognition where I got to go have lunch with my teacher, and I was like, that's kind of cool, but also kind of weird. Do teachers eat? Like, I didn't know. And I went and I sat with them, and it was a really awkward, quiet conversation, and I was making sure that, like, I was chewing the appropriate amount of times. But I saw it as, a, as an honor because, like, this is an important person I'm having a meal with. So while I get a drink of water, I want you to talk to somebody next to you real quick. Take a moment. Tell them the most important person you have ever shared a meal with. Could be a boss you got to sit down and share some of your ideas with. Could be, uh, could be someone famous you met one time. I don't know. This is a softball for you guys. Like, it's Mother's Day. If you're turning to your spouse, you can be like, you're the most important person I've ever shared a meal with. I'm just saying, like, I gave that one to you guys. It's a freebie. But who's the most important person you shared a meal with? Go ahead. All right. Maverick, who was the most important person you ever ate with? Your mom? Miss Michelle, is that your teacher? You see? I'm not the only one who experienced that, you guys. It happens. All right. Here's the context of what's going on here. Jesus is at a dinner party, and I want to back up a little bit. Last week, uh, we were in Luke chapter 13, and actually what happens in Luke chapter 13, right before the text that Wade was preaching on, is there is this moment where Jesus is being, uh, he's being kind of looked down upon for something he does on the Sabbath. You guys know what the Sabbath is, kids? Okay, Sabbath was this day of rest. So, you know, we have the weekends, right? We go to work five days a week or you go to school five days a week and then you get two days off and everybody's working for the weekend, right? It's a song. But the way God set up and established the order of things at creation is actually more of a six-in-one type of rhythm where you are working and caring for God's good creation and cultivating things six days a week. I know. That's overtime, right? You should get paid time and a half. But then you get this one day where you find true rest. That's called the Sabbath. And God commanded this day so that you would actually sit back and enjoy the goodness of God's creation 
And remember that all of your work and your toil for those six days really mean nothing if God is not at work himself. That he is the one who's in control of all things. And you can plant the seed and you can water it and you can till the soil. You can do all those things. But in the end, God's the one who causes the growth. And usually that happens when you're resting, when you're sitting back, right? You know that physiologically you do your own growing when you sleep, right? That's when our bodies grow. At least that's what I learned from my teacher that I had lunch with a long time ago. I think she was right. But that's what happens. And so in that rest, we grow. We grow in who God is and who he made us to be. So God establishes this rhythm, that one day of rest. And what happened is some of the people who were really, really trying hard to follow God, they were really trying to obey all of God's word and do all the right things, said, this is, this is dangerous. Like, what if somebody starts to do a little bit of work on that day and they break God's commandment? Like, this is a day of rest. We got to keep that holy, sacred, set apart. What if, like, their animals start getting hungry and they want to go feed them, right? And so what the Pharisees, the religious leaders, did is they set up all these boundaries around God's law. So God's law is rest on that day. This is a gift to you, right? And the religious leaders start saying, okay, you can only take a certain amount of steps on that day. If you go one step beyond that, you've now broken the law because you've worked too hard. Don't break a sweat. Make sure you don't do that. Make sure you're not making any money for anything. And you're not doing any work on that day, right? And so in Luke 13, Jesus sees this woman and she's got a disability and he heals her. And you get these religious leaders, the Pharisees, going, wait, wait a second, you can't do that. You're doing work. Your work, that it, we know, Jesus, is you're going around and you're healing people and you're teaching. Stop doing that on the Sabbath. The Saturday is the Sabbath. You can't do it on those days. You're breaking God's word. And Jesus goes, hold on, wait a second. This is verse 15. He says, you're hypocrites. Each one of you. Don't you untie your ox or your donkey and take them to go get to the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead it to water? Because you don't want your animals to die, right? Like when it's affecting your livestock, your income, your business, you'll break the Sabbath. And you'll do it for these animals, but I'm caring for this person made in the image of God who you've devalued. Because in this culture... What they've done is they said, if you have a disability, if you have a sickness, if you are poor, if you have any type of negative thing happening to you in your life, God must not care about you. You must have sinned greatly against him for him to allow these things to happen to you. So you are a sinner and you are not worthy of God's love. You must have done something terrible. You have to repent. Be better. Clean yourself up. Maybe God will forgive you. Come back and see us then. This is the attitude that the religious leaders had toward people in this circumstance. And so they're going, like, what are you doing, Jesus? And he goes, listen, you're going to care for your animals on the Sabbath? I'm caring for this woman creating the image of the creator on the Sabbath. You hypocrites. You're going to talk to me about that? And what happens then is all the other people start rejoicing, but the Pharisees get angry. And so Jesus starts teaching them. And this is, I, I recommend you go back and you listen to the podcast from last week because Wade did a great job with this. He starts teaching them what the kingdom is like, okay? Go back and listen to that. It's good stuff. And then he starts telling them, listen, this is what the kingdom's like and it's coming in and it's, it starts off small, but it's gonna spread. But if you miss it, 
you'll be on the outside of the kingdom. There's only one way to get in, and it's through Jesus. And you see this moment where Jesus now is, he starts weeping and getting sad over Jerusalem. He's getting sad because they're not entering in that narrow way. They're not seeing and understanding who Jesus is. And in fact, the Pharisees, at the end of chapter 13, they come up to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, King Herod, he, he wants to kill you, we've heard, so you better get out of here. Which is ironic, because the Pharisees are now starting to plot how they're going to kill him. Jesus is coming in and shaking up their order of things, and they don't like it. And so instead of doing the actual dirty deed, which they will end up doing later on in Luke, we know, right? Instead, at this point, they're like, well, let's just tell him that the king wants him dead and maybe he'll leave and he'll just get out of this town. We don't have to worry about him anymore. It's really kind of funny because actually what we see is when Jesus is brought before King Herod later on, King Herod is all excited because he's like, I I heard that he's doing amazing things. I want to see. Maybe he'll do a miracle. So the Pharisees are just kind of messing with him right now, right? So this is all chapter 13. And then we turn over, turn the page to Luke chapter 14. And it's really kind of a repetition of what just happened. It's, a, it's a repeating what just went down. And so at the beginning of Luke 14, we hear that Jesus goes to a dinner at one of the leaders of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are the religious leaders. This is a leader of the leaders. This is like top, top in the class. And he invites Jesus to his dinner, to his home. So Jesus goes, and it says that there's a man there In verse uh, 2 of chapter 14, in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. Jesus knows what's going on. Wait a second. You guys don't care about this man. You wouldn't invite him to your dinner. You wouldn't have him into your home. Remember what we talked about. Like if you have a disease, if you have a sickness, if you have something going on, if you're poor in class, you're seen as dirty. You're seen as someone God doesn't want to be a part of, and therefore we have no part with you. Why would this man be invited into the leader of the Pharisees' home for a dinner with Jesus? Jesus is a pretty smart guy. He puts two and two together. He figures it out. All right, we just had this whole showdown about the Sabbath, right? This dinner is taking place on the next Sabbath. And he knows, they just invited me here to this dinner, and they invited this guy here to the dinner to see what I'm going to do. They're testing me. Am I going to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Is that allowed or not? Here's the thing. Like, if Jesus heals him on the Sabbath, the Pharisees can go, gotcha. You just broke the command again a second time. You're working on the Sabbath. But if he doesn't heal the man on the Sabbath, Jesus looks like he doesn't care, right? He, He looks like he has no compassion on this man. Because people know he can do it. He's been doing it. So he's kind of in a dilemma, isn't he? Think about being this person with the illness who shows up to the dinner. Like, think about being this person ostracized from your entire community your entire life. And suddenly, like, the guy, the cool kid at school, the one who everybody is looking to for the answers, invites you to his home for dinner. And then you get there and you find out, oh, I'm just a ploy. I'm just, I'm just a trap here set for Jesus. It reminds me of those movies where, like, you know, the, the nerdy person gets invited to the cool party only to find out it was this cruel joke on them, you know? Don't tell me none of you saw she's all that. This dude just got Lainey Boggs. 
Yeah, I even know the character's name. Okay, let's not talk about that. So he gets, he gets set up. And Jesus is being set up. And Jesus, though, is pretty wise. He's smarter than they are. So this is what he does. Verse 3. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, hey, hey, question for you. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? He just turned it back on them. If they say, yes, it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath, they've broken their own rules that they've set up. If they say it's, it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath, they're the ones who look like they lack compassion. They invited this guy to their dinner and won't let him be healed. Jesus is pretty smart. Like, it was that simple. What do you guys think? Should I do this? Is this lawful or not? Right? And so they kept silent. They couldn't answer him. So Jesus takes the man and he heals him. So amazing. This guy shows up. He realizes this is all just a dirty, rotten trick. But this Jesus still shows compassion on him. And he heals him. And then Jesus turns to them and he starts telling them. He says, listen. He gives them the same analogy. He's like, if you had a son or an ox who falls into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you immediately pull them out? This is part of God's good creation, who we're called to care for. Do you remember that calling God gave to us, humanity as his representatives, to care for his creation? This is one made in his image. Of course I'm going to heal him. If you had a child falling in your well on the Sabbath, you're going to work to pull that kid out, right? And so Jesus is saying, I'm showing this same compassion to this man as if he were my child. That's a beautiful thing. He goes on to start talking to them now about the whole problem with their social order. So he looks at this and he goes, there's something much deeper going on here. This isn't a question of the Sabbath. This isn't a question of how much work can you do on this day. You're having this dinner party And the only person you've ever invited who's not like you, you used to set up a trap for me. You don't even want me here except for to show the people that I am not who I claim to be and that you are the ones who still hold power and authority when it comes to how to get to God. And so what he starts telling them is he starts looking around at the people at the party and he's like, listen, you come to these parties and you all fight over position and status. You all fight over who's going to sit where. And he breaks down this system. So what would happen in that time is when you're invited to a banquet, what would happen is there would be certain places where people of honor would sit. And the further you moved away from the host, the less honor you had at the table. So we kind of have something like this when like sometimes people have wedding receptions and they might do assigned seating, right? That's not necessarily an honor. It's like uh, we want to make sure that Uncle Joe's not sitting next to Aunt Ruth because they always, always fight about politics. Like, let's make sure that doesn't, right? Sometimes it's practical reasons. But there's also, like, there's the table where the whole bridal party sits. That's honor. And then there's where the family sits of the bride and the family of the groom. Like, that's a place of honor. And so that's probably the closest analogy I have to what this is like. But these banquets, which often were wedding banquets, it's one of the main times you would throw a big, huge feast like this is you would have the the host and the person who is putting this all together in the middle, and it would be kind of like a horseshoe type of table, like a U. And so if you're sitting on the right or the left, like, you're my man. You're, You're in a seat of honor right next to the host. And the further that you start fanning out on that horseshoe, 
the less honor you have. In fact, as you get closer and closer to the edge of that horseshoe, that you, you're sitting closer and closer to the door, which is like, hey, you just barely made it in, or you know what, you could go ahead and leave. Like, that's okay with me, right? Like, you start losing a position of honor. And so, what do we take from this? What we take from this is, it's Mother's Day, when you go to lunch today, put your wife at a place of honor, which means furthest away from the crying baby and closest to the bottle of wine, okay? Just kidding. So Jesus starts saying to them, he goes, look, you come in and you start fighting for these seats of position and honor. Let me tell you a little trick. When you come in, don't go sit at the highest seat of honor thinking that that's where you belong. Because what if someone else comes to the party now and they actually are of more esteem than you. And the host has to come to you and go, hey, could you just uh, move, move down a little bit? Like how humiliating would that be, Right? Like, what if I was like, Anthony, um, could you actually give Wade that seat and you're going to scoop back a little bit? I wouldn't do that because you're the only person to sit in the front row in months. I thank you for that. But that's kind of what Jesus is saying. He's like, to avoid that, here's what you do. You come in, you sit at the worst seat. And then the host may come up to you and go, hey, actually, like, you know, Will, I I really like you. I like what you're wearing today. Could you move up a seat, you know? And then you're going to have someone else come in and go, I'm going to put Steve there. Will, come up this way, right? I wouldn't do that to you, Steve. But. So he's setting up this whole thing, and it's interesting. Like, I'm reading this, I'm going, why, why is Jesus giving them tips for how to survive in society? Like, how to not be made to look like a fool. And I don't think that's what Jesus is doing. I think what Jesus is doing is he's exposing, he's exposing what this whole system they have set up is actually rooted in. This culture of shame and honor, where everyone's vying for this seat of honor, Jesus is going, listen, that's not how you get it. That's not how you get it. This guy who you invited who's diseased, he's got a seat at the table too. Because it's not based on your honor system. And I think Jesus is actually, what he's doing is he's opening up a picture of the gospel in a much deeper way than I think they would have understand at this point. And that's why Jesus continues. That's why he says what he says when we get to our text in verse 12. So then he also says, after giving this like, hey, let me give you a tip. This is how you look good at a party. Then he goes on to also say, he turns to the guy who invited him, the leader of leaders, the one in charge of the Pharisees, at his home. Like, can you imagine inviting someone to your house for dinner and all they do is just like talk about how terrible you are? (laughs) Like Jesus is just like coming after people. I'm surprised he's still getting invited to dinner parties, but here he goes. And he says, listen, What you're doing here is you're inviting all the people who you have placed in this position of esteem and of honor. And you're inviting them so that you can actually be paid back by them. This isn't a party to celebrate other people. This isn't a party to celebrate what God has done. This is a party to make yourself look good and so that you would be repaid. And so in this culture, what would happen is if I'm going to throw a party, I'm going to invite all the people who I know will in turn invite me back to their party. Because if I invite Josh to my dinner party, and then he has a dinner party next week, and he doesn't invite me, 
that actually looks very shameful on him, right? So what are we having next week? So what would happen in this culture is you invite the people you know are going to invite you back over. They're going to repay you for it. You can't invite people who are poor and diseased so they can't work because they won't be able to invite you back. So not only is it, hey, you're dirty, you stay over there, we're clean, we sit over here, I'm better than you, but it's also a reality of like, you can't do anything for me. Why would I have you over? What are you gonna do for me in return? I have no use for you. Sorry, goodbye. That was the reality of these parties. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't just invite your friends and your family members and the people who have the money to invite you back over. Instead, I want you to start inviting the poor. This is what he he says. I want you to invite in verse 12, 13. 13. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. Maimed. We don't use that word often, do we? But this is someone who's got a severe disability or injury that's debilitating to the point where they cannot work. Someone who's lame cannot get up and walk, so they cannot work. Someone who's blind is not going to be very effective at work. Do you see where I'm going with this? They are all falling into that category of the poor. They are someone who cannot pay you back, right? Invite all of them. What? What are they going to do for me? And Jesus says, listen, when you invite these people, that, you get your reward from them. You'll, you'll go to the, their dinner party. That's fine. You'll get your reward. But when you invite these other people who can't pay you back, you get a much better reward. So he's not saying, listen, you can't have dinner with your friends, your family members. Do that stuff. Enjoy it. But when you think about how often you have thrown dinner parties or how often you have thrown any type of party or how often you even just sit down and have a meal every week. And you think about who's always at that table with you or who's always on the guest list. In our context, maybe we're not trying to invite people who could pay us back, but are we maybe just inviting the people who we're really comfortable around? Are we maybe just inviting the people who are just like us? Are we maybe just inviting the people who we know can bring something to chip in? Who are the people that we're bringing in? Who's on that guest list? She almost made it up. And so Jesus is saying, that, listen, your reward is not in how they can pay you back. There's something much greater. This is what he says. He says, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What is he talking about with the resurrection of the righteous? Does anybody have an idea? You can just say it if you do. When Jesus returns, there's final judgment, and what else? What else happens when Jesus comes back? You mouthed it. Yeah, the resurrection of the righteous. He's talking about the righteous will rise from the dead 
and they will meet Jesus. Jesus is going to be, as we jumped ahead in the story around Easter, we know Jesus will be the first fruit, the scripture calls it, of the resurrection. He is the first one to rise from the dead to never die again. Like, yeah, he, he rose some other people from the dead during his miracles. They didn't stay alive that way, unfortunately, that time. But Jesus is the first to rise from the dead victoriously in the spirit, conquering sin, death, and Satan, and remains alive seated at the right hand of the Father. Talk about seats of honor, right? Talk about seats of honor. Jesus has the seat at the right hand of the Father, the creator of all things. He steps out of it. This analogy he's given to people like, hey, go sit at the least honored seat and maybe you will be moved up. This is what Jesus does. He steps out of his seat of honor and he comes down born as a helpless, fragile baby in the poorest town on the face of the earth to a poor family, people who would not have been invited to these parties. Jesus seats himself at the the lowest seat. And because of that, and because of the way that he suffered in life and in death, he is risen from the grave in the power of the spirit and the host, the father moves him up. You come and you sit here by me at my right hand. You are to be the most honored, the name above all names, Jesus. Jesus is not just giving them some social cues for how to survive at a dinner party. He's telling them what he has done for us. And so Jesus is talking about at this time, this resurrection of the righteous, not only will I rise, but all of you who trusted me will rise too. And if you have lived in this way, you too will be honored. You also will get a good seat at my table. You see, here's what the problem is. The Pharisees thought, if you follow all the right rules, and listen, let's not demonize them, right? Like they're trying to follow God. They're trying to be good and obedient. They're trying to obey the law. But what they got wrong is if we do all the right things and follow all the right steps in the right way, then we will be honored. And listen, Christianity, this faith, this belief in Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and who we are now because of it, it's not about being a good Christian. Like, God doesn't want you to be a good Christian. What? He just wants you. And what we see Jesus honor is not the people who do all the right things. We see Jesus honor the people who humble themselves. That's who the righteous are. The ones who recognize that they are in need and who humble themselves and will go and sit at the lowest seat because they know I don't deserve to be next to Jesus in the most honored position. And Jesus will come to them and say, that's exactly right. But I have come to lower myself to the seat so that you can be moved up. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Jesus is lifting us up and honoring us. And he says, if you love people in this way too, if you humble yourself and you welcome in the people who I welcome in to my table, they can't pay you back and honor you Listen, I will honor you. Who's at your table? This is a conversation I've been having with a couple of our 
missional communities lately, it's like this idea of being missional. What does that mean? I think sometimes we make it so much more difficult than it needs to be. And the question I keep asking is, who's at your table? Who are you sitting with? Who are you sharing a meal with? Who are you welcoming in? Can they do anything for you in return? Like, don't even ask that question. Just welcome them in. Sit with them. Jesus, it's, we've heard people say this, has ate his way through the Gospels. This is Jesus being missional. Is he, he sits down at tables with people and he eats. And he listens. And then he speaks good news. That's it. It's that simple. Who's at your table? Who are you sharing meals with? Who are you sharing your life with? Is it the people who make you feel comfortable or can do something for you in return? Is it the people who you feel important being around? If I am seen hanging out with this person, people will know this about me too, right? Or is it, this is a person made in the image of God and Jesus gave up everything to come after them and care for them, to lift them up out of the well, to move them up in their seat of honor. And I get an opportunity to do that too. And so Jesus starts laying out this terrifying parable to the Pharisees who still aren't quite getting that. He's saying, listen, you're still all about honor and you're trying so hard to earn that place. And there's, there's one guy at the dinner party, I love it. It's like he's trying to break the ice, break the tension. Like Jesus is calling them out and the dude's like, uh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Um, blessed is the one who gets to eat bread in the kingdom at that banquet. Like, he's trying to, like, who, who wouldn't disagree with that, right? So he's sitting there, he's like, blessed is the one who, who gets to come and eat in the kingdom. And you would think Jesus would be like, right on, bro. Amen. And that's not what he does. My page, pages are thin. There we go. That's not what he does. He says, no, 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 no. Let me tell you a story. And he tells a story about people who think they're coming to a party and they don't end up coming. And he's telling them, this is you. Yeah, blessed are those who will eat in the kingdom at the great wedding feast when the bride is reunited with the groom, the resurrection of the righteous. This is that feast. Revelation 19 talks about it being a wedding feast, a banquet. Blessed are those who are there at the table, anywhere at the table, it doesn't even matter. Blessed are you for being there. And Jesus is like, but it's probably not going to be you. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? These, remember, these are the people just trying to follow the rules. And so if we hear this right now and we just think, yeah, those dumb Pharisees, they had no clue. And we don't examine ourselves. Like our, our reading this morning said, examine my heart. If we don't examine ourselves here and go, am I one of these making this excuse? Man, watch out, guys. He sets up three different people with three different excuses. And the way these invitations would have been sent out at that time is there would be a two-invitation system. So I'm going to send out an invitation. We're going to have a party next month, okay? And all of you would RSVP. You say, yes, I'm in. Count me in. That way I know how many cattle to slaughter. Because I don't have a refrigerator back in this time, right? And so I got to make sure, I can't go to Costco, 
I gotta make sure I have enough food and enough drink for everybody there. So a while in advance, you're gonna tell me you're coming and I'm gonna start preparing everything. And that's why Jesus says in this parable, then he said back out to those he invited, hey, the feast is ready, come. That's your second invitation. These people took the first invitation. There was a first invitation given out and you said, that sounds good, Jesus, I'm in. You're gonna make my life better? Count me in. Second invitation comes. Wait a second. Um, I bought some land. I gotta go check on it. I, I just bought some cattle. That's, that's my business. I gotta go check on it. I love this one. I just got married. I have a friend who just got married. He's like 36, and he's like, dude, I finally get it why you can't come out and do stuff all the time. Like, I, just, I got a wife now. Sorry, I can't do it. I just got married. Excuse me from the party. This was taboo in that culture. You don't do that. If you said you're coming, you show up. And here are the three things that Jesus is laying out. Like, I got my stuff, my land, my possessions, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see to this. I don't need to be at your party. I got my business, my work I'm doing. It's really important. I got to make sure these cattle can stand up to the, the task. I, I know you got this party going on, but I got this going on here. I got my family. That's a hard one. I got my family right here. I know, Jesus, you called me to live this way, and I probably will when my kids are older and moved out of the house. I know, Jesus, you called me to live this way, but you don't understand the pressures I have at work right now. I know, Jesus, you've called me to live this way, but I'm really enjoying living in this community, in this home, and having this stuff right now. And we wouldn't say any of that out loud, would we? But let's be honest. Like, I'll be honest. I'm guilty of all three of those. And at different times in my life, one of them tends to creep up more and more than the others. And I took that first invitation to Jesus' table. Now there's an expectation that comes with it. Jesus' table is one of invitation and expectation. The beauty is everybody's invited to that table. The diseased, the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, you're all invited. Doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. There's an invitation for you at his table, but there's an expectation that you will now live in a way worthy of the table. That's the part that starts to scare us, isn't it? There's an expectation. And Jesus is talking to these Pharisees and these people who are trying to get it all right in their own strength, their own power. And he goes, listen, if you excuse yourself from the table, I'm gonna fill it. I'm gonna fill it. In this culture of honor, shame, you don't show up to my party, I got no shame. You understand, like I'm the king. I'm the king, this is my feast, my banquet. You don't come, I'm gonna be all right. I'm gonna fill this table. And when Jesus says the master went out to the highways, this would have been a picture to the Jewish people at that time of like where the Romans have set up all their roads. And all the Gentiles, that means the people who were not Jew were out there. 
This would have been scandalous for them. Jesus, we're your people. We're God's people. You called us. No, no, no. You've refused me. You've tried to seek your own honor. You sat yourself at the highest seat. I want people who recognize that they need me at my table. I will go out and I will get them. Listen, this morning, there's an invitation for each of us to sit at that table with Jesus. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how bad you think you are, what he's asking us to do, what he's inviting us to do is to humble ourselves and recognize that we need him and we need to be there. And when he calls us in, there's an expectation that we will do the same. Jesus doesn't need us to repay him by inviting him to our party. No, no, no. Repay him by inviting others in to his party. The poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. In our culture, who would that be? Could be the poor, the handicapped, the socially awkward, maybe. Those who look different, have a different culture maybe even a different belief system because that's who Jesus invited in. Are they at your table? Are you inviting them to Jesus' table? Last thing, as we go to the table, and we do this each week, is we remember our invitation to the table did come at a cost. The Father sends out the invitation, the Master sends out the invitation, and he says, will you come? And they say, yes, I'm coming. He goes, okay, I have to slaughter my cattle to prepare enough food for you at my table. This is what the father had to do for us. I'm, I'm welcoming you into my home, to my table, and there's a sacrifice. Jesus is the bread that we eat at the table. It's Jesus' blood that we drink at the table. Jesus was the sacrifice to make room for you and I. And it's happened. It's already been done. First invitation fulfilled. Second invitation, come and eat. So as we go to the table right now, remember that's what we're doing. That's what we're rehearsing. We're retelling ourselves that story that we are coming because of the slaughtered sacrifice of Jesus. We get to come and feast with God. There are three tables. There's one right here. One on each side. That one, again, if you don't know, has gluten-free at the table. Go to the table with somebody. Remember that truth. Remember you get to go to the feast, the wedding banquet party that Revelation 19 talks about because of the sacrifice of Jesus. If you're part of our family, it's also a time to give. And again, remember what we heard today. This is not a repaying Jesus. This is not an earning your right and your honor. This is Jesus has given so much to me that we want to give to see more of this happen. We want to invite more to the party. That's what that's for, okay? And so if you're part of this family, we encourage you to give in that way. And then we'll continue singing and worshiping this king together. Comes you ready. <laughs>